0: You're listening to the Sojourn Church New Albany Sermon Series, Respond, Following the Lord of Life. In this series from the Gospel of Matthew, we learn to be grounded in the presence, promises, and power of Jesus, finding faith to follow the Lord of Life as He makes all things new again. Now let's hear the word of the Lord. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns where He had done so many of His miracles because they hadn't repented of their sins and turned to God. What sorrow awaits you, Chorazin, Bethsaida? For if the miracles I did in you had been done in wicked Tyre and Sidon, their people would have repented of their sins long ago, clothing themselves in burlap and throwing ashes on their heads to show their remorse. I tell you, Tyre and Sidon, will be better off on judgment day than you. And you, people of Capernaum, will you be honored in heaven? No, you will go down to the place of the dead. For if the miracles I did for you had been done in wicked Sodom, it would still be here today. I tell you, even Sodom would be better off on Judgment Day than you. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We have to do a baby switch here. This is my wife, everybody. There's the baby, okay. <laughs> Teamwork makes the dream work, you know. Well, hello, peace be with you. My name is Jonah, I'm one of the pastors, and it's good to be with you guys. Uh, that passage is about judgment, and we're going to talk about it, but first we've got to do some judging in light of last week's big event. Anybody remember what happened last week? Trunk or treat! Wow, so enthusiastic. Yes. If you, if last year was your first trunk or treat, there's a cultural thing that happens, kind of in house. That was kind of like the family uh, welcoming people into our party. Now this is just family business, and we're a judgmental group, which means every year trunk or treat we judge best trunk and best costume. Right? It's very serious. Uh, and to be a little bit clear, the best trunk, we're talking creativity interactivity, uh, something maybe a little bit different or something memorable. And then with the best costume, it's not just one individual costume, but we want to see group buy-in. So is everyone participating and how seriously did we take it? Because some of you guys have seen when just like one person is... You know, they're not really doing their part. It's like everybody's bought in, and then one person over there is just like, whatever, get me through this. We're not interested in that. Uh, so this is going to be some, uh, a celebration, but it's also a warning shot for next year because, frankly, some of you need to do better, okay? <laughs> some of y'all need to do better. Um, so first, oh, you can just feel the suspense in the room. Um, if you are one of the winners... Uh, you need to go talk to Pastor Steven, and he will explain to you the party that is yours and your whole community group or whichever group of people you did this with. So let's just soak in the uncomfortable expectation here for a second. Okay, winner of Best Trunk is Brittany and Donald Allery's community group with the Magic Kingdom Animal Farm theme park. So we Yeah. Oh, yeah, dim the stage lights a little bit. So two things really took it over uh, this one for us. One um, was my personal love for Walt Disney World and all things Disney related, and uh, they built Mr. David Baker built a ma- uh, Cinderella's Castle. And if you we don't have good pictures of it, but if you saw it, there's incredible detail with mouse ears behind it, all made of wood. What really took it over the top, though, was the goats. Uh, there were goats, and what what made it really so, you know. If you guys are looking for reason to be mad at Pastor Bobby Gillis, I'm about to give you reason. He, he hardly ever makes a mistake. But I tried to get live, real unicorns for a petting zoo. And Bobby said they were too expensive. Hey. Boo! Bobby killed my unicorns. So when there were goats there, I was like, all right, goats win. And this is a decision amongst the staff, just to be clear. I know I'm being a judge, jo- but it's not like all my call here. So if you're mad, be mad at the whole staff, not just not just at me. And then, so that's best trunk. Uh, Brittany and Donald aren't here to receive the gift because uh, they just welcomed their first child. So thanks be to God for a miracle baby who's healthy and the gift of life. We're, we're grateful for that. Now, this is, um, is going to be controversial here, um, so we're just going to go for it. The best costume goes to the Schaefer and Ficaros in their Hogwarts wizarding thing. Now, real clear, first of all, Them winning, Justin was sick at the staff meeting where this was decided, so lest you make charges of nepotism, Justin was not there. Uh, And also, this is not a statement about our church's position on witchcraft or sorcery, okay? This is just, they went for it. And the the biggest reason that we felt like they should win is because, you know, looking at them, you can't really tell, is this their normal clothes or a costume? (laughs) Because Justin and Joe... Played on stage in that exact outfit three weeks ago. That same thing. So there you go. Uh, Go talk to Pastor Stephen, and he will tell you how to enjoy your party. So, in all seriousness, uh, those are serious prizes. You guys won, so go talk to them. Uh, but I think it was our best trunk or treat ever. We had well over 1,000 people that came. We had a man throwing candy from a telephone pole. Uh, it was fantastic. We had dancing unicorns, not the same as live unicorns, but still, it was, uh, it was a great event. So thank you guys so much for blessing our, our neighbors and our neighborhood that way, and thanks to those who took the costumes and all that stuff seriously. We'll see you next year. So thank you. And turn the lights back on, please. There we go. I get nervous in the dark. So we've put off an uncomfortable Bible passage long enough. avoided it for, that was about four minutes of avoidance right there. Um, So one of the things that I hope to show you today uh, is that there are some big ways that God is different than us. I mean big ways, very significant ways. Uh, But we are made in the image of God, and so there are also some ways that we are really similar to God, uh, or that he behaves, to put it a little dangerously and upside down, there are ways that God is the same as we are, or he operates the same way that we do. And so I'll give you a really non-offensive example of this. Uh, And don't look at anybody now. No tossing elbows, no shooting darts, okay? This is a safe place. We're just going to be all uncomfortable together for about 25 minutes here. Uh, How do you feel when someone doesn't respond to your text message? I know how some of y'all feel because... Of what you said to me when I didn't respond to your text message. It's not a strength of mine. Uh, I'll give you some of you guys a pro tip. I don't know if this works on the other phones. I don't know why anyone has a phone that isn't an iPhone at this point but I realize some of you guys do. Um, And I at least I know on iPhones there's a thing called the read receipt. You guys know what that is? If you don't know what that I'm about to blow your mind. When you have your read receipts on it means the moment you look at a text message, it tells the other person that they read your text message. right? So then not all ambiguity is gone. I highly recommend you turn that thing off so you can at least, you know, thank you. I turned that thing off the moment I realized it existed. Uh, because here's the deal. When you send the text message, 98% of the time, you know that they got it. They know that you know that they got it. And they know that, that you know that they know that they know that you didn't respond to it, right? And I, listen, there's boundaries, and we don't want to push this analogy too far. If you are always accessible to everyone at any time, you always say yes, always respond to the email, that's a real problem, and that, that will go poorly for you. There should be a chunk of your life every week that you're not responding to text messages or emails or whatever, so don't read too far into this. I just want you to think for a second, how do you feel when someone doesn't respond to one of your text messages? Uh, We're in kind of a season of baby showers, child dedications coming up soon, baby showers, kids' birthday parties, and how do you feel when someone doesn't RSVP to your party? You got the invite on Facebook, and you didn't even click maybe. Or what's the one, the ambiguous answer you can do to Facebook events? It's like interested, right? (laughs) You You didn't even do that, just didn't respond. Again, my wife and I are awful at RSVPing. So I kind of get it. How do you feel when they just don't RSVP? They don't say no. They just don't respond. Why is it that we as people hate a lack of response? Why do we hate the ambiguity? Why do we get so offended when somebody doesn't respond? Especially, like, let's be honest. I don't, however many, a couple hundred people are here, if, if we're supposed to be in contact with everybody all the time or respond, it's totally unrealistic. If, if you, by virtue of being here, there's at least a possibility that you could get text messages from a hundred people a day. It's totally unrealistic to expect we'd be, to resp- be able to respond to everybody, and, and part of us, we know that. So why do we still get bothered at all by the fact that people don't respond? Why do we hate a lack of response? We're looking today at a, a grave warning. It's frankly a scary passage. This passage doesn 't make you a little bit uncomfortable or a little bit scared we 're just looking at different bibles. Uh, I want to remind you that these stories in Matthew in chapters eleven through twelve they 're intended to provide us with uh, clear pictures of who jesus is they 're just announcing with, with stark clarity this is who he is we 've looked at what he 's said we 've looked at his family of origin we 've looked at his miracles and now we 're getting clear statements about Who he is. Last week, we got a picture that said he is the coming one. He is the Messiah. And his coming brought with it an invitation. And now this coming one is expecting you to respond. This morning, we get another picture of Jesus. He is the coming one who is also the coming judge. And the judgment that he brings centers around one simple word, respond. Will we or will we not The simplest way to put the message today is that Jesus has invited you into his family and it's time for you to respond. Last week, we looked at Jesus' response to the uncertainty of John. John the Baptist had doubts while he was in prison, so he sent his disciples to go talk to Jesus. Jesus says, tell John about what I said and what I've done. He reassures John, And then at the end of the passage last week, he's speaking to the crowds as a whole. And now in verse 20, he's done speaking to the crowds and he's just kind of rhetorically pronouncing judgment across this whole region. He starts naming cities and he's just speaking to large groups of people and land. And this is what he begins with in verse 20. It says, Then Jesus began to denounce the towns where he had done so many of his miracles because they hadn't repented of their sins and turn to God it says he denounced them. This word has a, a wide range of meanings and possible translations. It can go anywhere from rebuke to insult. reprimand. He's blaming them, rebuking them. It's almost like he's attacking them verbally. It's a strong, serious rebuke coming from the mouth of Jesus. And what, did you see why he said that? because they saw so many of his miracles, and they did not respond. They heard his words, and they did not repent. You remember that's the message Jesus came preaching? He came announcing, repent, because the kingdom of God is at hand. That's the message you will see coming from the lips of Jesus in the Gospels. We covered this real early in our series on Matthew. You can go back to the app and listen to it as in the second or third sermon in the book of Matthew. We talked about you know, the idea behind repent is to come home, to turn around and come back home, learn how to live the way you're meant to be lived. The purpose of Jesus' words and works, it wasn't to show off or put on a cool show. The purpose of the words and the works of Jesus was to convince you he is the coming one and move you to respond, to RSVP, to the party. It wasn't even just to say, like, you must be God. Wow! Look at what you've done. Amazing. It was meant to do that and ultimately to compel you to turn and change. These people Jesus is talking about had front row seats. They saw they heard, and they simply didn't respond. Jesus goes on with even more stark words in verse 21. What sorrow awaits you, Chorazin and Bethsaida? For if the miracles I did in you had been done in wicked Tyre and Sidon, their people would have repented of their sins long ago. You can go learn about what these cities represent, what was going on there. I think what's can you put that back up for a second, please? This first phrase, what sorrow awaits you, other translations will put this as woe to you. This phrase, it's an ancient Hebrew curse. This is Jesus casting judgment on these people, on these places, and he's saying, curse you, or you are cursed. And the reason the curse is so strong is because they have seen Jesus. They had a privileged place to hear the Messiah's words and to witness his miracles, and they refused to respond. Maybe it wasn't an outright no. Maybe, you know, there's all kinds of ways to refuse. You can be controlling by saying, this is what we're going to have for dinner. And you can also be controlling by saying, I don't care what we have for dinner. Well, how about Mexican? No, not Mexican. <laughs> what do you want for dinner? I don't really care. Well, how about Chinese food? Nah, not Chinese food. You see, like, you can passive-aggressively be in control too. Maybe they didn't just flat out say no. Maybe they just said, this is interesting, Jesus. I want to think about it. Just give me a little bit more time. I'm interested. Maybe they just clicked, I'm interested. Jesus came to bring about a turn. He doesn't just want your beliefs. He doesn't just want information to come out of your mouth. He wants to see a reoriented life from you. The one is intended to lead to the other. He came to lead us home, but these communities, including the ones he mentions after this, they continue on as if nothing happened. God came near, and they said, wonderful, but life just kept on going. When you look at this story, and it follows right on the heels of John the Baptist's doubt. Earlier in chapter 11, we get doubt, and then we get this. It seems to me that unresponsiveness is a bigger deal for Jesus even than uncertainty. After this, he says in verse 23, You people of Capernaum, will you be honored in heaven? No, you'll go down to the place of the dead. This isn't, so this place of the dead here, this is Hades, It's different than other times Jesus talks about hell. Hell's a real thing. This just isn't a verse about hell. Uh, Hades is kind of the the place of, it's a symbol of destruction in the Bible. It's the place of the dead. And so again, we're not talking about eternal punishment here. Uh, Think about what we know about dead people for a second. No one is harder hearted than the dead. You get that? No one is harder to win an argument with or to move to action, no one is less affectionate, no one is less responsive than a dead person. Jesus is saying, if you don't respond to me, you'll be just like that. Like the people in the graveyard. You notice when you're feeling lonely and discouraged, you're never like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go up Charlestown Road and go to that graveyard and just get some hugs and have people speak words of life to me. It's a lifeless, unresponsive place. The second reality that I want you to see is notice Jesus doesn't say, No, I will cast you down to the place of the dead. Right? Jesus doesn't couch this language in the sense of him giving a judgment and meeting out a sentence, saying, You will do this, or I will do this to you, I will put you in this place. He's saying, You will go down. So, in other, in other words, he's saying, if you don't respond life will only get worse for you and it will be your own doing. This will be because of your actions. If you've seen the works of Jesus and you've heard the words of Jesus, which now applies to everyone in this room, a response is demanded of you. And if you don't respond by turning, by coming home, You will destroy your life. And I I want you to see that you know that both of these statements I just made, both of those are true, even if you've never thought about it before. One, because you know how you feel when someone doesn't respond to a text message from you. Important information, an invitation, demands a response. And when you think about refusing to turn and change bringing about destruction. Listen, have you ever had a family member or a friend in a pattern of brokenness and sin? Um, Maybe they habitually lie or they steal. Uh, Maybe you've had to deal with a family member who abuses a substance. You keep inviting them, right? I love you. It doesn't have to be this way. You keep offering them opportunities to change. There's this program, we'll do this for you. Have you thought about this? You keep inviting change. You keep offering opportunities to change. You keep supporting and reassuring, and they don't respond, they don't listen. And what, what happens there? How does that go? You know, I don't typically like cliches. Usually, got, cliches became cliches because they were consistently true for a long period of time. And so a cliche that I find to be very true is, you know, this phrase, hitting rock bottom. Heard that? What's rock bottom? Well, it's when there's nowhere lower to go. And so you hear people saying stuff when they watch their friend keep going back to the bar or keep going back to pills or keep going back to that drug or keep going back to that habit, whatever it is. And they'll be like, you know, she just hasn't hit rock bottom yet. Why does that happen? Because you didn't respond and it just kept getting worse for you. Here's another cliche. You ever heard the phrase tough love? What is tough love? It's when you do things that are difficult and hard and even painful because of how much you love the other person. So if maybe you're a family member who's got someone who's been abusing a substance, for instance, at some point you have to start drawing lines. You're not going to be able to come to Thanksgiving this year. You can't be in our house. You can't you start drawing these hard lines so that they can feel the weight of what they've done and you have to start protecting other people who maybe are interested in responding. Family puts up boundaries. You get isolated. Why did your family do that? Was it to finally stick it to you? Was it to you know, really punish whatever, that person for what they... No, it's because they love you. And they want something more for you. There are ways that God is very different from us. And there are ways that he is not so different at all. He wants good things for his children, just like you want good things for your children. He wants a response from his children, just like you want a response from your children. And he will sometimes show tough love, just like you will. So here's the heart of God. The power in the preaching of Jesus was meant to elicit a response from you. His ministry is repentance fuel. It was supposed to affirm who he is to give you faith and confidence that you could turn around and learn a new way. The miracles, the words, the ministry of Jesus was meant to convince you he is Messiah so that you would trust him and you would follow him and you would obey him. And if you don't listen, if you don't respond, it will only get worse for you in this life. And then you will have to give an account for your stubbornness before the coming judge. It would be wonderful to avoid preaching messages like this. It's not like wake up. Some people do, I guess. get Wake up like, I can't wait to talk about judgment today. But here we are. If we want to take the good parts of the Bible, we can't just throw out the hard parts about the Bible. If this is the revealed word and wisdom of God, he will say things to us that don't hit us comfortably always. We have to feel the weight of this. You can look at this passage like a family intervention. You've been drinking too long, and you come home and the family is there because they have hard things to say to you because of how much they love you. Turn from your sin. Turn from your self-reliance and trust the coming one. Look to his word, look to his miracles. He's pleading with you and it's time to respond. After these intense warnings, this is a strange passage, you guys. These 10 verses, Matthew eleven twenty 20 through 30, are, are strange And Jesus goes from making this curse to the crowds to praying to his Father. And in the prayer, I think he's giving us a window of what does responding look like? What kind of people do we need to be? And so he begins praying in verse 25. He says, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. So these next few verses are going to bring up one of the greatest tensions in the entire Bible, and I promise to do very little to resolve it for you. (laughs) Because remember, Jesus just cursed a whole region for not responding, cities for not responding. And then notice here, he says, thank you that you hid it from them. So is it, Is this something that God did, hiding things from people? Or is it on their fault, or is it the people's fault for not responding? Or to put it theologically, if you've gone into these worlds, is repentance our responsibility, or is it the choice of God? To which the Bible says, yes. You're like, well, help me sort that out. No. It pleased God to do it this way. Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord. If we think that we will know the mind of God and understand all that he does, it's like saying we're going to swim to the bottom of the ocean in one breath. It's like you can, you can try, you know, go for it and you will drown. We are held responsible. Jesus seems to give no indication that these people could not make a choice. He said, I was right there. You heard the words and you did not respond. And you know, I'm sorry to do this to you, sound man. Can put that verse back up for a second. Do you notice the people that he says he hid it from? Who are they? You see the words. I don't have my laser pointer anymore. It doesn't work. From the wise and the clever. Who are the people that didn't respond? The wise and the cl- people who think they're smart. The people who think they've got it figured out. They're proud. They're self-reliant. And who, who has it pleased him to reveal it to? The childlike. What's one of the biggest differences between the wise and clever and little children? If you have little children, you know this. Children, I mean the simplest way I can put it is children ask for help. Even, again, if you've got little kids, they ask for help in ways that will drive you crazy. Daddy, I'm scared of the dark. Well, why don't you lift your arm nine inches and flip the switch, right? Like, you can reach it now. You're not two, you're five. Turn on the switch, but whatever. Children, ask for help. Daddy, can I get a drink of water? Daddy, will you tie my shoes? Daddy, I'm scared. Will you hold my hand? Daddy, little children know they live in a big world They know that it's scary, and they're ready to ask for help. That's the posture that we need. That's the kind of response Jesus is inviting us to. Not self-assurance, but self-awareness. The self-awareness to know, I am a child, and the world is large, and I need help. Not pride, but humility. You respond by knowing yourself enough to admit you need help. And that's the heart of repentance. I don't know what I'm doing and I need help to do it different. To practically, it means some of you need to start admitting that your friends are right. If you've had more than one friend say the same thing to you over a span of a couple, like, it's time to listen to what your friends are telling you. Your community group may be right. Your spouse might be right. You need help. Jesus gets even more strange after this. Verse twenty-seven. He says, "My Father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the Son except the Father, and no one truly knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him." So this becomes one of these times where we like to use the Bible to keep ourselves from the Bible. And so here's what I mean: We'll come to a verse like this, and then there's there'll be this uh, sovereignty of God panic that sets in, where it's like, "What if I'm not chosen?" You ever come to this verse and started worrying that? I get one like awkward head nod. You ever worried, like, what if I'm not chosen? I don't know what to tell you. If you're here today, if you've heard the gospel, you've heard something true. If you've been to this church more than once, you've heard the gospel and you've heard something true. Do I know who's chosen or not? No. And shame on any preacher or Christian who acts like they know who's converted and who isn't, or who is chosen or who isn't. There, as far as I can tell, I don't have the spiritual gift of seeing a flaming tongue over everyone's head who has a genuine conversion experience. I don't, I don't know. What I do know are the words of Jesus. So he says this to his father. You see this? This is something he's praying. We are inside the mind of the family here. And then he looks out to the crowds, and says this in verse 28. Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Sometimes we will... We will go down this road of theological speculation about the relationship between God's sovereignty and our responsibility as a way of keeping ourselves from the danger of the invitation. Come to me. You see, what are the requirements here? To come to Jesus? He doesn't say, come to me, all you who are chosen. He says, come to me, all you who are tired. What kind of God do we serve? that He says, if you're tired, there's your requirement. Do you feel like your burdens are heavy? Many people will come to this verse and say, well, what about the people who never hear the gospel? What about the people God hasn't chosen? And to that I would say, well, what about you who has heard it? What about you who has heard the words of the Messiah, you've seen his works and you've heard his invitation? You come to me. God has come. He has performed astounding wonders. Jesus has suffered for you. He was crucified for you like a criminal. He died in your place, and on the third day he rose again. What about you? You have heard it. You have seen. Jesus is inviting you into his family. What about all those people who haven't heard? Trust them to the care of God, especially if you don't want to go and tell them. When people are like, what about all the people in that country? I'm like, would you like to go and tell them? And they say, no, I want my job and stay here. It's like, then what are we really talking about here? Don't use the theological speculation to hide from Jesus saying to you, who do you say that I am? Some of you need to turn for the first time. You're visiting here. This is the first time you've heard of a God who loves you and is asking you to respond There'll be men and women up front that will talk to you about what does it look like to simply say Jesus is Lord. And our, we'll baptize you next week and we'll celebrate with you. For, for most of us, we've made this decision a while ago. And I, just knowing what I know of our church, some of this is the fault of the preaching team. I just think some of us are resting far too much on grace. And what do I mean by that? I mean, you're using the love of Christ to excuse your brokenness. You are safe because of the blood of Jesus. I'm, I don't think you can sin your way out of the family of God unless you can somehow unresurrect Jesus, right? If he is still risen, which we believe he is, I think you're safe. But if you keep refusing to respond, if you keep doing the same things that you know you shouldn't, that your friends tell you you shouldn't, that your spouse tells you you shouldn't, it's just going to get worse for you life will get harder for you and more unpleasant for you, more isolated, more alienating. And listen, it's not my job to say what's going to happen to you on the last day. I don't know if you follow me on Twitter. I don't really talk about other churches on Twitter because I'm not going to have to give an account for them. I will stand before Jesus and give an account for this church. Just like you will stand before Jesus and give an account for your life. So if you don't respond, does that mean you're going to hell? I will leave that to the judge to decide. But I Guarantee you, your life will get worse and more difficult now if you refuse to listen. And There's some real easy ways to know if you're refusing to listen. When Jesus says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, are you at the least bit tempted to say, liar? Have you ever felt that? My yoke is easy and my burden is light unless you want to be a community group leader. Uh, Or unless God help you, you hope to be on staff at a church one day. Or, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You just feel yourself saying, no it isn't. When we get to those places where the options are, we're sideways or Jesus is a liar, I'm going to land on we're sideways. If your yoke is not easy and your burden is not light, perhaps you are not responding to Jesus. Perhaps you've taken on too much. Perhaps you've turned and come home too little. Because like I want you to see this passage teaches us that the turn is not so much away from being in trouble towards being right with God. Most of us think we have a legal gospel. And it means you're guilty and you're a sinner, which you were, and then Jesus died and now you are forgiven. That's true. There's a legal transaction that happens there. But do you notice what Jesus says? My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Follow me and I will teach you. The turn isn't about legal. You're safe with God, okay? If you believe Jesus is Lord and his blood was shed for you, you are safe with God. The turn now becomes away from being a dead, hard hearted, lifeless person to becoming alive in Christ. Tender, soft, responsive. The turn is from living as a dead person, hard and lifeless, towards life in Christ. What does it mean to take his yoke upon you? Do what he said, not just some of what he said, because he also said things like take a day off. So that's, I don't know, that was for somebody. If, you, if you're like, take so much pride in how little time you've taken off, haven't taken a day off in 20 years, well, I guess you're God. It's, I don't know, what, God took a day off, what does that mean? I don't know, you guys, but he took a day off. What's the first thing he says to enslaved people? Go to the Ten Commandments. The first one that has to do with how you live. He says, take a day off. (laughs) You're so important and so busy, you can't take a day off. You probably don't experience the easy yoke. Maybe you need to go to your community group and ask them, how am I leading myself to death? The book of Proverbs say, there's a way of living that seems right to a man, which means there are things you do that seem like a good idea. And in the end, it kills you. And man, if you're over 30, you've done something or had a strategy that you thought was a good idea and you watched it blow up in your face after the fact, right? Maybe you need to go to a community group or just to a close friend or whoever and say, what do you guys think I'm doing that may be a bad idea? What do you think I'm doing that might be unhealthy? Or might be going poorly for me? And then the crucial turn is when they tell you is please believe them. I, <laughs> I cannot... Put into words the amount of pain that could have been avoided in the life of this church if people would have believed the loving words of their friends. Ask them, what am I doing? What what do you see? And then when they tell you, believe them. And the first person to believe is Jesus, who is the coming one, and he is the coming judge. He will reveal himself to those who have childlike faith. What does that mean? Ask for help. You know that you need help. You know that you can't pull this off on your own. He has to be judged because he's a good father who cares for his children. He's no different than you are. If your children ran out on the Spring Street you wouldn't be like, well, kids will be kids. Who am I to judge? All these ridiculous notions we have your father would run out and he would snatch you up and say, I love you don't ever run out on the street again. These are the warnings of God. It's a loving father who who must be judged because he's so good and he loves you so much. There is a way of living that seems right to you and it's killing you. So to show you his warnings are wrapped in love, every week we root ourselves again in this sacred meal that reminds us of the heart of God and the nature of his invitations. We remember the night he was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in in remembrance of me. Before you want to say we have a harsh judge, what kind of judge would allow himself to be executed for you? What kind of judge would allow himself to bleed for you? After the meal, he took a cup of wine and he said, this is the cup of your new covenant sealed with the shedding of my blood. Drink this in remembrance of me. And the language there is really important. He says your relationship with God is sealed through the shedding of Christ's blood. It's not made possible. It's sealed and secured. So let's just take safety, let's take heaven or hell out of the equation. You are safe and secure with God. Are you willing to believe that God knows how to live better than you? Are you willing to believe that you can change, that you can transform, that you can be healed? Then come home, repent, respond, and follow the Lord of life. Our tradition at Sojourn is to come forward and rip off a piece of bread, dip it in wine or juice, Uh, Wine will have a piece of twine wrapped around it. There'll be stations up front and in the back. And there'll be gluten-free elements to my left, your right. I'll pray for us, and then Christians, let's come remember our hope together. Let's pray.
0: Thank you for listening. Keep in touch with Sojourn New Albany on Facebook. Or download the free Sojourn Collective app for iPhone or Android where you can see our full library of sermon series audio and video, discussion questions, event calendar, ministries, and much more.